Easter should cause one primary reaction. Belief. Our text this morning is Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning. May your spirit come, open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears, that we might hear your word and that we might do it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2017, before the big rains started, the meteorologists were all saying, buckle up, rain's coming. But I didn't believe it, because the year before, they said there was going to be a big El Nino, and then it was a bust. But then it started raining, and raining until we had rain coming out of our ears, and then I believed. Jesus told his disciples he would rise from the dead on the third day. But when he died on the cross, they would not, could not, believe there was more to the story. Will anyone believe Jesus came back from the dead? Will anyone believe that his tomb is empty? Will anyone in the Gospel of Luke believe him? Go and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We're going to begin there in verse 1. Luke 24, verse 1. And it says there, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now, I want you to notice something here. The Gospel of Luke is focusing on this theme at the beginning of verse 1 of chapter 24. And that is this. Everything is new. It's the first day of the week. The Sabbath is passed. Jesus had been crucified on the Sabbath at the beginning of that and here we walk are. It's Sunday, the first day of the week. It's early dawn as well. The sun's coming up on the first day of the week. It's screaming to us that it's a new age and a new age has come. The text is screaming to us the concept of resurrection. Now the women came to the tomb believing that Jesus was still in there. They believed that he was still in there. They came to do a job that had already been done. So they bring spices to the tomb but we see that in John chapter 19, Jesus had already been prepared for burial. He'd already been embalmed in the fashion of mummification of Jews in the first century. There's very little communication going on between the various groups that are following after Christ. The apostles have run away. The women are following at a distance. And people who are acquaintances of Jesus are the ones who put him into a tomb. John chapter 19 verse 39 says this. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus, and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now on this night, hastily doing this, they took him to a brand new tomb, the tomb of a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea. Nicodemus was there. They would have gone in, and they would have laid Jesus on the slat that was inside the tomb, they would have begun putting this paste on and then laying linen strips and putting more paste and more linen strips until Jesus looked like a mummy. But the women come now, unsure if this job had been finished. They come to do the job that had already been done. They believe they need to prepare for death, but they needed to prepare for life. Believing they'd find the stone in the way in a full tomb, they find the stone rolled away. That would have been like the top of a cylinder, a big round stone flat. It would have been rolled down into a slot in front of this brand new tomb. It would have probably been a big stone for this was a rich man's tomb. Women couldn't have rolled the stone out of the way. It would have taken a number of men 
to roll the stone out of the way. But when they come to the tomb, the stones roll out of the way. Verse three, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. The women believed his body would be in there, in a tomb that now has a stone rolled away. But he had said this would happen many times for those who would believe. Jesus said this would happen over and over and over again. In fact, just concentrating on the Gospel of Luke, we see this. Luke chapter 9, verse 22. These are the words of Christ. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus said this in Luke 13, verse 32. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Jesus again in Luke chapter 18, verse 33. And after flogging him, he's speaking about himself here. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. He said it over and over again explicitly. I will be killed. And on the third day, I will rise from the dead. How many times had Jesus said this? We just got a, a bare fraction of the words he said in our gospel accounts, but he said it many times. And here it is. The third day, the stones rolled away. The tomb is empty. It's unbelievable. Verse four, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? They still can't believe because their belief is muddled. They're perplexed by the empty tomb. And what do we have here? Our text says there's two men wearing dazzling apparel. Who wears dazzling apparel? These are angels, two angels appearing at the tomb. Now, if you look at the Gospel of John, you'll, you'll see there's more profound symbolism to this. Two angels at the tomb. Now, in John's account, the two angels are actually inside the tomb. They're seated on that slab that would have had the body of Jesus on it, one at the head, one at the feet. This is what it would look like. It would have been a tomb hollowed out like a cave into stone. There would have been a bed that would have been carved out of the stone. And the way this worked is you would put a mummified body on there. You left it in there for about a year. And over the year, the body would decompose and fall away. And then there would just be the linen strips and bones. And you would take the bones out. You'd put them in a small stone box called an ossuary. The ceremony was called the gathering of the bones. And then you place that box up against the wall. And over the decades, even centuries, all of your relatives would be lined up in these boxes like a mausoleum. But here, we've got an empty tomb. Jesus is gone and we've got two angels, one seated at the head, one seated at the feet in the account of John, these two angels speaking to this woman. What's that all about? Where do you see, see two angels? Where do you see two angels, one seated at the head, one seated at the feet? Where do you see that in the scriptures? You see it in the temple. You see it in the Holy of Holies. You see it on the Ark of the Covenant. You have two angels with their wings spread out, symbolizing the presence of God with the people of God. What's the point with two angels here at the tomb? It's because the Ark of the Covenant, the temple, was all pointing forward to this tomb and the presence of the Son of God who has risen from the dead and is not in the tomb. The two angels are there. It was all pointing Toward this, the Old Testament calls for two or three witnesses to establish truth. 
How much better of witnesses can you get than two angels testifying to the fact that Jesus is not there? Why do you seek the living among the dead? Their appearance was so dazzling that the women bowed down in fear. Put another way, they're saying, don't you believe? There's no living among the dead. They seem to be saying it in a roundabout way to get them to think. There's no living among the dead. Jesus isn't here. Jesus must be alive. Going on to verse 6. He's not here, they continue, but is risen. Remember how he told you why he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day, rise. Jesus had said again and again, three days and a wake-up. Three days and a wake-up. Believe it. Friends, there's more than simply the testimony of the angels. The entire history of Israel through her scriptures had been screaming out this theme of three days and a wake-up. Three days and a wake-up. Just to give you a few. On the third day, Joseph saved his brothers from death and prison. They received resurrection on the third day. On the third day, God saved King Hezekiah from sickness and death. On the third day, King Hezekiah was resurrected. On the third day, Queen Esther spoke to King Ahasuerus and Israel was delivered from genocidal death. On the third day, the entire nation of Israel was resurrected. And Hosea the prophet says this about the third day. In Hosea 6.2, after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. The entire history of Israel, the fullness of the scripture, and Jesus himself had been saying over and over and over again, I will die, and on the third day, I will rise from the dead. Let's go on to the second part of verse 8. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they remember and they believe. When we believe, we want to tell somebody. These women couldn't wait to tell somebody. Can you imagine such a stupendous thing? being taken down into the pit of despair and now being raised up to the heights of unbelievable good news. He's risen from the dead. When we believe in him, when we believe him, we should want to tell someone. I got a question for you, or actually several questions. Is it more important to tell about Biden inflation memes online or that Jesus died for the sins of the world? Is it more important to tell our friends what you're eating on Facebook or that Jesus rose from the dead? Is it more important to tell people that Kenny Chesney's coming to Austin City Limits live or that Jesus is coming again in glory? Let's tell people. Let's do some holy violence here in Buda, Texas and grab people and bring them in to worship with us, to worship the resurrected King Jesus. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. Verse 10. Now it's Mary Magdalene. Joanna, Mary, mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed like an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Now who are these? These are witnesses. These women saw witnesses. They saw two angelic witnesses. And now these women come and witness this to the apostles, but they're not just any women. These are women who have standing. These are women who have standing amongst the apostles. Who are they? We've got Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene had a very checkered past. 
but she's a woman who had seven demons cast out by Jesus. She had insight to anoint him for his death. Who are these other women? We've got Joanna here. Who's Joanna? She's the wife of Chusa. Chusa was a manager of Herod Antipas, ruler of Galilee's household. Chusa was the manager of Herod's household. His wife is Joanna. And then we have Mary here. Mary, the wife of Cleopas, the brother of Joseph, Jesus' father, the father of Jesus. And we've got the other women here. So what does this mean? In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, it says, every charge, every charge, the word there in Greek is rhema. It means word or matter. Every charge, word or matter, must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. We've got two angels already that witness to the women. And now we've got a cloud of women withstanding who are coming and saying that Jesus has been raised from the dead, that Jesus' tomb is empty. And yet, the men... The apostles minus Judas Iscariot will not believe. They will not believe the Old Testament, which commands them to carefully consider these things, or the New Covenant, which is Jesus' words and acts. Going on to verse 12. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves and went home, marveling at what had happened. But someone here wants to believe. Somebody wants to believe. Peter here didn't walk. He didn't jog, but Peter ran. The Greek verb there is trecho. It means to advance with great speed. Peter, who had fallen so low in denying his Lord. Peter, who must have been dipped deep into the pit of despair, now hearing these words of the empty tomb, runs as fast as he can to see what had happened. 75 pounds of spice paste and linen strips would have hardened into a concrete over three days. But the linen strips, and we're told in the Gospel of John, the face cloth, they're all there. They're all laid aside. Now think about this. If you were going to steal the body of Jesus, would you have cracked open that mummification process and taken this decomposed body out? Who would have done that? But we see here Jesus is gone out of the tomb. And the strips of linen are there. The face cloth is there. How did that happen? In fact, some have speculated that in the Greek here, it may, may say, be saying this, that it looks as though someone had floated through these strips, and now they're all laid there neatly. But Jesus is gone. Peter went away marveling. He went away thalmazol, wondering with astonishment and amazement. Jesus is gone. He's not in the tomb. He's not dead. Do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus is not dead, that he's risen from the dead? Do you believe him? I do. The world's out there today saying, this is foolishness. What's Easter about? Man rose from the dead. Give me a break. That can't happen. You believe in fairy tales. Pastafarians, idiots who go around saying we believe in the great spaghetti monster. Look at this and they go, nobody rose from the dead. It's all a fairy tale. Well, guess what? I believe it. I believe 2,000 years ago that Jesus rose from the dead. That Jesus has risen from the dead. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. Maybe you probably remember back in 2012 when an elderly woman, Celcelia Jimenez, believing she was being helpful, attempted to restore a fresco of Jesus in her church in Borja, Spain. This is what that fresco looked like before the restoration job. 
The result was a disaster with Jesus transformed into what looks like a child's drawing of a monkey or a lemur. This is what it ended up looking like. But that's not the unbelievable end of the story. The town believed all had been lost, but the horrific restoration job itself became a major tourist attraction, resurrecting the town and enriching all of its 5,000 residents, t-shirts, keychains, coffee mugs. Jesus' death on the cross and placement dead in a tomb looked like an absolute disaster, but that wasn't the unbelievable end of the story. The disciples believed that all had been lost, but the monument to death, the tomb itself, is now empty. It became a timeless monument to eternal life. Resurrecting the world through the resurrection of the Christ, Jesus has risen from the dead. Believe him. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your powerful work of redemption and vindication. Raising your son from the dead. May we rejoice this day in his resurrection, having become partakers of it. And may we go forth and bring others in in the power of the Spirit to rejoice in his resurrection. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.